was actually our biggest one yet was that mouth pop. I might just mouth pop. I mean, whatever floats your boat. And I, I'd always count it in for you if you need it. Oh, that was a good one. I'm doing that from now on, Sam. <laughs> You're delighted You're by that. that. That thing is huge. <laughs> You're delighted by that noise. <laughs> doing it. All right. You know, we know. All right, great. Future is mouth popping. <laughs> the future is now, Danielle. And the future <laughs> is mouth popping. <laughs> Let's do this. Please. Everybody and welcome to Booker Tort's 50th episode. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And as we said, this is our 50th episode. Woo! <laughs> it's our extravaganza. We are very excited about this. <laughs> explosion, explosion, explosion. <laughs> There's balloons. You can't see them. But and confetti. Here. Just imagine confetti. <laughs> So, for our 50th episode, we thought, Sam and I thought we would honor some other media that also made it to 50 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, apparently so we, not that easy for a lot of these things to happen. <laughs> was surprisingly difficult. Yeah. So, we have each chosen an episode, a 50th episode of a TV show, and we are going to explain it to the other person. So, it's our same format. It's something that the other person's not familiar with, and it should be interesting since it's in the middle of, of seasons. Yeah. <laughs> No context. Who needs context? Very excited about this. Now, Danielle, you've generously volunteered to go first. I have. I have. And I am waiting with bated breath. Okay. So, Sam, for our 50th episode extravaganza, Uh I have chosen the 50th episode of The Great, The Remarkable, The Fabulous, Xena, Warrior Princess. (laughs) Yay! Uh, Lucy Lawless for the win. I love it. It's going to be fabulous. Oh, man. Xena, this is going to be really good. It's, It's great. And especially because I have not seen Xena since I was 12, but I have watched <laughs> all of Xena, pretty much. I'm yeah. pretty sure. And I'm not good with my Greek Roman mythology, so I, I can't give you any more context than what's in this episode, Sam. Perfect. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> the the 50th episode of Xena is called The Deliverer, and it's season three, episode four. So right smack dab in the middle of Xena. Sure. I do not have a summary for you. Did you need a summary? Were we supposed to do summaries? I mean, you don't have to. I think we all understand Xena. Yes. You you know the background on Xena, correct, Sam? Uh, she is a warrior princess. A warrior princess. <laughs> it takes place in a fictional Greek, I mean, I mean fictional, obviously, but a fictional, fictional Greek mythology. So it's not the actual Greek mythology, which is also fiction. I'm confusing myself. Point is, <laughs> yes, she like fights evil deities and things. Yeah, that's, that's Zeta. Let's go with that. Sure. I mean, I know she's a warrior princess, and she has a totally platonic friend. Yes, named Gabrielle, who Gabrielle, is heavy yes. in this episode. So Excellent, because I like good her. that you know she exists. <laughs> uh, I, I do know she exists. I don't know anything about them other than what I've told you already and what I've seen through other pop culture that has referenced Zena. Yes, so they're, they're pretty much together this entire episode, so I'm glad that you have some kind of reference for her background. Perfect. So, what have we got in The Deliverer? Is is this about childbirth? No, but funny you should say that. Because Uh-oh. we'll get to that. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> 
All right. This opens with a man in uh, black leather with luxurious hair and snappy sideburns, and he's swinging a blade around, I don't know, a cavern? <laughs> it's, it's a storeroom. It's a cave. It's got a lot of gold in it. Sure, sure. <laughs> and a woman poofs into existence on the throne that's behind him, and she is dressed in a matching ensemble with a mini skirt, also all leather and bustier. So far, and so good. She walks up to him, calling him Ares. So he clearly is Ares. the god. Ares. Ares, the god of war. We, you didn't know that in ancient Greek mythology, Ares <laughs> liked to wear leather and dance around with blades? Yeah, apparently he does. He's super sexy. And she <laughs> she tells him that they have to talk about the cult, whatever that means. The cult. <laughs> And Ari's like, it's cool. Calm down. I've got it all in hand. I've got one of my best men on it. There's a lot of repressed sexual energy between these two. And he mentions that it's a mortal that he has going about figuring out this cult situation. And the woman, I'm not going to tell you yet, Sam. (laughs) And he never really does either. It's all just insinuated. (laughs) Okay, great. He says it's immortal. She's very offended by this idea. Like, why would you not just destroy their temple yourself and resolve this problem? Which... Good point, lady that doesn't have a name. <laughs> I've made this point before in other media how, like, the gods, the good gods in, you know, science fiction and fantasy never interfere while the evil gods always do. Exactly. Yeah. I thought of you when this happened. Great. I was like, hmm, yep, that's a Sam issue. <laughs> it is. I like her already. And he asks if anybody has the nerve or ability to go against this cult god, and nobody but him does. But for whatever reason, who knows why, it must come from a mortal. Fake reasons. <laughs> Only mortals can solve mortal problems, Danielle. Yeah, and apparently it's just like high stakes. If this god isn't destroyed, the world they know could end. Okay, that's serious. I know, it's very serious, but apparently they're leaving it to this mysterious mortal. So it switches to Xena and Gabrielle, and they're traveling through the woods. They come across a contingent from the island north of Gaul, and they seemingly are transporting prisoners. So it's a bunch of guards and prisoners in, like, stocks. And Xena goes to pass them after greeting, and one of the prisoners says, basically, like, you should just kill us here because our, our people will never give in to Caesar. And Xena stops dead in her tracks and turns around. Wait, Caesar? Caesar. Caesar, Caesar. Like... Julius Caesar. Pretty sure. <laughs> or Augustus Caesar. What? Okay. Um, what of the Caesars? <laughs> aren't, aren't they Roman? I, Sam, I do not know. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm pretty sure I Caesar... Mean, yes. Yeah. Yes, Caesar is Roman. I do not understand how Caesar is involved in this. She has a long-standing, like, back issue with Caesar that's not detailed in this. I, I did this a little Greek bit of research. Myths, not Roman myths. Well, Caesar's involved, Sam. <laughs> Okay, again, my history is not great either, but I'm pretty sure Rome, like the the, the Roman Empire came after Greece well, was like their big powers when they had the This Athens is a fictional and... event of f- fictional recounting of fictional events. So I guess they're completed. Down the rabbit hole. Fine. Let's, <laughs> let's go with it. Caesar is up there with Ares. Got Let's figure it out. Let's, let's get them fighting. So Xena turns around and returns to tell the guards to let them go. The She's prisoners. like, hey, take your prisoners and let them go. Yes. And the guard's like, uh, why? Yeah. (laughs) Which, valid question, guard. Valid question. Who are you to tell me to let my prisoners go? I'm not saying what they're doing is right, but she has no authority here. And he, she doesn't answer this question. She just starts kicking their butts. And she's like, reason one. And then she like hits him in the face. Reason two. She kicks him. And then reason three, she like uses a sword on him. I'm like, those aren't reasons, Xena. Well, I think it's the reason of might makes right, Danielle. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's apparently how Zena operates her entire life. She's a real autocrat. She saves the prisoners, assuming they needed saving, I guess. What? How and- do you know the prisoners aren't evil? <laughs> I don't know, because they're working against Caesar. She has a thing against Caesar, Sam. They have sure. some history. He, like, broke her legs or tried to. Or, I don't know. There's some past what? episodes <laughs> with legs. Caesar. Got, what is he, a loan shark? It's yes, a bring me Xena. She owes me money. And then teach yes, her a because, lesson. Because later he tries to break uh, some other people's legs. And it's, like, in honor of the fact that he screwed over Xena in the past. Like, betrayed her or something. There's some big betrayal between Caesar and Xena. I did not look up the like deep background between the context Caesar and of this is very important i'm glad it's missing because this is fun <laughs> that's what makes this episode so much fun <laughs> so she asks why caesar wanted the prisoners she asked the prisoners this and he explains the leader of the group explains that he's rallying troops to fight with bodicea against caesar and like i said she's clear beef against caesar we don't know why but she's surprised to hear about bodicea and apparently she has some kind of past history with this woman as well apparently there's a past history to everyone yes actually G- uh, gabrielle says that at one point you're oh you're like the who's who of fighters like you know everybody why am i surprised you know this person <laughs> yeah right <laughs> And Gabrielle and this leader guy keep kind of eyeing each other. He introduces himself as Craft Star. Craft Star? Craft Star. Cool name. Yeah. And he is the first priest of the Temple of the One God. Which God? The One God. Which God? It's called the One God, Sam. Mm. As in it's a singular God. Very arrogant God, to- considering there are other gods that literally exist in this world. Right. The, the, we'll get there. <laughs> So it's just that's his official title. They never give him a name. Uh, it's one god. Sure, fine. I don't call myself the one Sam now. <laughs> well, at one point they mentioned like the is- Israelite one god, but is this the same one god? We don't know is at this Yahweh? point. Yeah, we don't know about that. <laughs> There's a lot of gods running around is the point. We know that in Xena. Sure. And so D- Xena is all about this. She's like, sign me up. I'm here. Like, let's do this. I'm going to help Bodicea and I'm going to destroy Caesar. Is what she says. Basically like that. You really know how to make us uh, empathize with the character. <laughs> and now it's travel montage time. They're Love with it. the uh, guys. They're going back. And Gabrielle explains that Caesar betrayed Xena in the past, hence all of her fury towards him. And Craftstar tells them that Caesar holds their temple and he's worried about the destruction of it because it's an important temple to them. Sure. I mean, that happened. Greeks have, or I guess Romans. Well, uh, I can't keep this straight. Never mind. <laughs> Gabrielle asks about the name of the one god, so she is on the same thinking as you, Sam. Yeah. And he tells her that he's not they're not permitted to speak the name, but he's happy to tell her more about the religion. And she's like, nah, it's cool. Gods are a pain in the butt. There's already way too many involved in my life. <laughs> not untrue. So meanwhile, Ares and Xena meet on the beach. They're alone, and they also have a history. Again, she has a history Shocking. with everybody apparently at one point he wanted to kill her mother and he's like i didn't really want to kill your mother i just wanted you to join forces semantics like (laughs) give it up zeta let it go (laughs) yeah i don't have to murder your mother man just let it go i like aries (laughs) i can tell you're (laughs) a sucker for a hunk in leather (laughs) yes that's why he says he's there to help caesar has this temple that aries has suggested he destroy but caesar's holding on to it very mysteriously so hey 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 zena wink wink nudge nudge it must be pretty important sure would suck if you'd destroy it (laughs) subtle yeah and she's like well he wouldn't just want a temple like there's got to be some kind of meaning behind that and he's like yeah yeah there probably is maybe you should do something about that (laughs) 
That is why, their why is no one telling anybody anything? <laughs> I don't know. This whole thing is Aries not telling Zeno why anything's important. <laughs> so they all get on a ship. They're sailing, and Gabrielle and Craftstar are having. They've become fast friends. They're below deck. She's showing him some anti-nausea techniques. This the sea's a little stormy, and he admits that some people call their group a cult, and he hates the idea of that because he you know, has a history with this, and he's found it a really like peaceful and good place to be in. Not to get into the semantics here. Craft star, if that is your real name. <laughs> but the difference between a cult and religion is basically just how widely accepted it is. Yes, so. arguably. And But he's just offended people called a cult. All right, fine. But he gets that like having one god is a new idea because obviously there are multiple gods at this point well, in time. Right. I got to – having a one god flies. You know, but if you can like literally interact like, oh, there's Ares, he's on the beach. Like that changes the calculus a bit. Yeah, I would assume at this point you're just thinking who's the most powerful god as opposed to like there's clearly more gods. You right. have proof of more gods all the time. There is only one god. Like, well, uh, except for the one I ran like I ran into Ares down there and Hermes is just, you know, at the market and I ran into <laughs> Hephaestus just, you know, going my doing my grocery shopping. So it seems more like, as this kind of progresses, it's more like the god that you support the most that will support you back is kind of the idea. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> Saying, like, the one god person is very arrogant to declare themselves the one god when there are literally other gods that people have met. Yeah, I don't understand the logistics of how there's one god when you know there's multiple other gods as well. Right. But here all we right. are. Here we are. <laughs> So he's all idealism about peace, prosperity, blah, blah, blah. Zena's not into it. She like walks in in the middle of the conversation. And she's like, nah, I'm cool. Don't want to hear about this. And she's pretty surly. And so Gabrielle kind of steps away from Craftstar, goes over to her and kind of talks to her and goes, hey, what's going on? How you doing? And apparently she was allies with Bodicea in the past and she ended up using her army and kind of betrayed her. And so she's feeling some guilt. And that's one of the reasons she wants to go back and help her destroy Caesar. Okay, so hate Caesar because Caesar betrayed Xena. Yes. Love Bodicea because we betrayed the yeah, uh, Bodicea. Bodicea. So she doesn't see herself as like <laughs> the same as Caesar. Like, it was different when I betrayed Bodicea. Like, Caesar could unforgivable <laughs> to betray me, but I betrayed Bodicea. That's that's fine. I'll just you know make I up think for it by helping her destroy. It's fine. Probably betray other people for what they think is a greater good in her head. It's probably like, well, it was very important that I betrayed her because I needed her army to save the world, you know, or whatever the case may be. I'm just saying the hypocrisy. Yeah, Pretty blatant. Disagreeing on that point. However, I, I think Xena knows that it's like not the best thing. Yeah. So now suddenly the ship is boarded by Caesar's men. And when I say boarded, I mean they just magically appear on the ship. At no point did the ship stop or get heralded over and was like, hey, we're coming aboard your ship. Is there another ship? Uh, you don't even see another ship? No. Xena just shows up on the top deck and they're standing there. Caesar's men. Well, there are gods. Maybe they put them there. <laughs> I mean, uh, Caesar could be working with gods. Sure, sure. Yeah. So they're just there. And they're like, you can't come. Caesar says, no, no, no. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want to fight against Caesar's men. We'll leave. With We're going to just go check on the winds. And so Xena climbs up to the crow's nest and does this like super fancy dance with her sword and then just uses it to reflect light to like the coastline and then a little light on the coastline reflects back at her. I don't know why so she, she signals needed, somebody on the she coast. She does, but I don't know why she needed to do the super amazing dance with the sword in order. Danielle, have you no sense of like joy or movement <laughs> or pizzazz? Yeah, maybe it's part of the like whoever was spying on them had to see the super secret dance to know who it was. <laughs> right, it's like an encryption algorithm. Like I, I don't know how that light beams come from someone I can trust. 
<laughs> that must be what it is. We solved the problem. Thank you, Sam. There we go. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So they pretend to leave, but they actually sneak onto land. Apparently nobody was watching them very strongly because the only reason they realized that they snuck back onto land is because one of the guards was like, oh yeah, they left this morning. They went north. And the other guy's like, north? They're not supposed to go that direction. Oh, they're on land. Let's go. And they <laughs> ride to war, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> good, good guards. And so they attack them along the coastline. Zena and Bodicea have met up and they're riding into war. And there's this very questionably choreographed fight scene, but the music's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, it's kind of like they do a lot of this kind of Irishy, Scottish, Celtic background music kind of thing going on whenever Zena does stuff. It's good music. And they win. They win against Caesar's little army force that's there. And they all yell they do. And, and do their war cries and are excited. So, meanwhile, during this, for whatever bizarre reason, Gabrielle and Craftstar are not involved in this fight at all. And they are captured in the forest as they're running through to somewhere. I don't know where. It's very unclear where they're running. <laughs> Maybe they're running off for a little canoodling. Yeah, maybe, but it didn't seem like it. They were just like, let's go. We've got to go through here. And then they're captured by Caesar's men. So that it switches to that night. Zena and Bodicea uh, kind of get into an argument a little bit there. And Bodicea tells her the only reason she's putting up with Zena is because she can't defeat Caesar without her. But she knows that she's not there for her just to destroy Caesar. Like, it's not like a nice thing that Zena's there trying to help her out. Accurate. Yes. And at this point, she's like, hey, where's that girl that you said was like coming? You're supposed to ferry back here with us to this fight. So I guess she was put out of the fight. Gabrielle's not really a fighter. And what is she? She's like a friend of Xena's. They travel to traveling companion, I would say. Yeah, but what does Gabriella get out of this whole arrangement? What does she bring to the table? Or or, or what does she get out of the like, That would be a great question, way. Sam, if I could remember the first three seasons of Xena. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She's a friend. She's got some healing arts. She tempers Xena down a little bit. She like has that connection to Xena to make her like not such a terrible person. Sure. Fine. I'm sure she Go brings other qualities to the table. She's involved in a lot mm. of plot lines. I don't want to call her sidekick because she's definitely more than that. All Especially right. later seasons, she's got definitely got equal footing. But she realizes that she's missing, and she realizes also that Bodicea knew that they weren't at the coastline and told lied to Xena. Said, "Yeah, we're bringing them back. They'll be with us tonight at camp." And she knew that they had gone missing, but she didn't think that Xena would leave if she told her, which is true. Xena would not have left. They're like, mm. "We needed to get out of there before more of Caesar's men came, and you wouldn't have if I had told you the truth." And dun dun dun. At this point, because she got really angry, she'd actually kicked the guard that was uh, protecting Bodicea and like popped out his windpipe and she like pops it back in. He's gasping for breath. Is that how that works? <laughs> I don't know, but I laughed. I was like, ew. I don't think that's gross. how that works. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I'm with you. So she assumes that Gabrielle has been taken hostage to use against uh, herself, to use against Xena, because I'm sure- Leverage. Right. Yeah. And meanwhile, Craftstar and Gabrielle uh, meet Caesar. And Caesar is played by the guy who plays Dr. McCoy in the Star Trek reboot. Oh. I know. Okay. Like a young version of him. His name's Carl Urban. Just FYI. Yeah. So I saw him. I was like, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> So instead of killing them, he tells them he's going to wait until first daylight to take them to the hill, whatever that means. Something bad. Daniel, you don't know what the hill is? It's like the one god. Everyone knows. <laughs> it's the death hill. 
Zena wants to set up this trap. She has this idea that Caesar's looking for one big glorious battle to like go down in history as, as the guy who wins, you know, some huge battle. And so she wants that to- That seems dumb. I know. So she wants to play into that. So she decides that she's going to set up this trap for him. So they're planning all of that. And luckily, it seems to be on the same hill that they were going to the next morning. <laughs> Well, that just makes every, that just makes sense. It's the hill, Danielle. Yes. Everyone goes to That's the hill. That's where you fight. It's just the top yeah, of the, the hill. hill. Gabrielle and Craftstar are meanwhile, you know, stuck. They're not locked up. Actually, they're just in a room, and there's some guards, and they're talking about their one god. And Craftstar tells a story about realizing that the other gods were crap when his farm was ransacked by this warlord, and he was left for dead. And when this happened, he saw the ransacker leave offerings for the same gods that he prayed to, and he was like, "How is that fair?" that the gods would support this warlord destroying my home and not support me. And he was- To be fair, he's right. (laughs) The Greek slash, I guess, Roman gods in this instance, they were not so concerned with like virtue or people. Like they were just kind of doing their own thing. They they were basically just like people with magic powers. Absolutely. So- Which is great, which is why they're wonderful. (laughs) I'm kind of on his side. He was taught about the one god or the specific one god by some dudes that had saved him. And at the time, he was like, you guys are sheep for believing in this god. Like, I just saw what happened with these other gods. But he came across the warlord that had destroyed his home earlier. He, like, comes across him. He's wounded. And he's like, finally, I can kill you, you know? And he goes up to kill this guy. And then suddenly he says he was filled with peace and light. And he just had this, like, a voice basically, like, calling to him saying, no, this is not the way. Don't kill him. And he realized that it was the one god, supposedly. So he didn't end up killing this warlord. Sure. All right. That was his calling. His calling moment to the one god. Calling moment was not murdering a dude. Cool. (laughs) And Gabrielle and him kind of have a moment. She's like, oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad for you kind of thing. The next morning. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Yeah. Get me out of (laughs) here. No, she seems to like him. He seems like a nice guy. The next morning, Caesar knows it's a trap. He literally says, this is a trap. But I want this epic battle. We're going in. This is what we're doing. <laughs> People are dumb. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's great. Caesar, you deserve to lose. So they end up taking Gabrielle and Craftstar and crucify them up on, oh, they wrap their arms. They don't like do the nail things, but they put them well, up on crosses on this hill. Fine. And Caesar orders them to get their legs broken. He has the guards go and break his leg, which is some kind of throwback, again, to something that happened with Xena in the past. Maybe he just likes breaking legs, Danielle. He don't might, shame him. He might. Yeah. He's kind of a warlord. But before they can do that, people pop out of the ground. <laughs> oh, this trap I totally predicted. How surprising. And by pop out of the ground, Sam, I mean that they are like covered with dirt and moss on like they... They're just like they trap like doors under the ground. <laughs> but there's actual like wooden plank things. Oh, they like like a trapdoor spider yeah, type situation. Like they, like they literally just like push the trapdoors out and like pop out of the ground and they like zombie arm their arms. Do you have time to there. make that? I don't know. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. They know there's a like this is all a ruse, and yet they didn't have any guards watching people. This is jingles. why you don't have just the one hill. <laughs> This is crazy. I was like, where are they coming from? When did they have time to build burrows under the hillside? I guess they had all night. And then there's this epic, like, 20-person battle, because apparently they didn't have the money to have more than 20 people. Look, you work with your god, okay? And Caesar just stands there, like, 100 feet away, kind of, like, off on the hillside going, no, they're winning! 
What do you expect? He doesn't even go with his men. He has like 10 guys by him and he just stands there and is like shocked and appalled. And Xena cuts down a Gabrielle and Craftstar. And then Caesar throws this javelin through the sky, which Xena takes down with her like, she has a boomerang disc. Oh, right. It's like a, it's like a disc with like an S in the middle. Right? Yeah, I don't know about S and like I think a it's handle? just a circle, like a like a ring, like one of those frisbees that has the hole cut out, like a donut frisbee. Oh, okay. And it's metal, and she like throws it like a like a boomerang, and it always like chops stuff down, and then it comes back to her. Magic How does she thing. not cut her hand open? I, cut, catch it, Sam. I don't know. It looks like a pizza cutter, <laughs> like a really <laughs> okay. big pizza cutter. So she takes down the javelin and a shard like ricochets off and slashes into Caesar's hand and is sticking out of it. And he doesn't fight. He just yells. He's like, I want every legion in the country here by tomorrow. Which is, why not right have now, them here before? Why didn't he, ha- he knew there was a something going on. Like, why is he <laughs> so confused? <laughs> Alexander the Great, he ain't. <laughs> he walks away. Everybody cheers. We did it. We won against Caesar in this round. And that night they battle plan, apparently, for the big fight. Whatever. <laughs> I guess there's going to be another fight. <laughs> Their plan is to divide and conquer. They're surrounded by hillsides. And they also want to take the temple that uh, Ares mentioned earlier. Yeah, of course. The next morning at the temple, they all the guards are there. And they have those big metal armors, that the, like the Romans always do. That They hold up and they do like a roly-poly effect where they block all their, like, in front of their faces. You mean they do like a phalanx with the shields all interlocked? Yeah, and then they do them up atop too. But yeah. the, the best scene in the entire show is that Xena rides her horse directly at them, jumps off the horse, and like plows into them. Like she jumps on top of the roly poly and just like breaks it open. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Amazing. But also, uh, I, my understanding was they all had spears when they were in a phalanx and like had them pointing up and to the side so that would not happen. No, well, she jumps right in the center. So if there were spears, they were not in the center. And she. But there are people in the center who hold their spears nope, upright. Nope, like, nope, nope. They just like made a little pill bug formation with their. So they, because their spears, they were like javelins and spears throwing at them too. That's why okay, they started. Okay, sure. Why not? No, I agree. I, your that, solution would have solved her jumping no, on top I, of them. That's, I think the actual formation had spears like just everywhere like a porcupine yes they didn't do that and that's what they get xena jumps on them (laughs) yeah that's why you do your phalanx correctly there you go we need general sam well i mean no i'm a just terrible idea (laughs) vaccine general (laughs) oh man i would get you killed so quickly So they all run, they're losing, they run off, and Xena's army follows behind them. Now, as before, Gabrielle and Craftstar are not involved in this army. They, I don't know, guess they're useless. They're just like hanging out behind. And they're left to- Again, why are they there? I don't know. They're left to their own devices. And Craftstar is like, yay, we got our temple back. This is excellent. And then just out of the blue, like 20 people in robes show up. Like, they're just the people who, I guess, were waiting for the temple to be free. Hide out in the basement, sure. You don't see them earlier, you just see them now. So they go in to, to check out the temple, make sure everything's as it should be. And as Xena is kind of riding off, she gets a little waylaid because Ares shows up again. He's everywhere. I know. And he tells her that she didn't follow his super vague instructions to destroy the temple. Like, hey, Xena, didn't I tell you to destroy the temple? And she's like, dude, 
What's no? this about the temple? Like, why are you so weird about this temple? And he says, there's no place for one god in the world that we've created. And she's like, you're just, like, afraid history's going to repeat itself. Like, the Titans before you and Zeus destroyed them. And now you're afraid that this yeah. one god's going to, like, win against you guys. And Arius is like, whatever you think of us, we're not evil. But this one god is. I was like, eh, they're kind of evil. <laughs> I don't know if they're evil so much as just ambivalent. Yeah, like they're not the best. <laughs> you can do better, Zena. And Zena's like, whatever. Why should I trust you? Like, we don't have a history. Why shouldn't you destroy the temple? Why do I have to destroy the temple? And she kind of just walks off. Wow. Good for her. Show that Aries who's boss. But also, Aries, just communicate. Like, what if it's that important? If for some reason you seem to think this temple needs to be destroyed, maybe you should tell her why. You ever think about I that? Mean, I can only speculate because I only have the information you've given me. But probably <laughs> if he just told her why he wanted the temple destroyed, she wouldn't do it. She might not, but maybe because you're going to find out in like two seconds why. <laughs> oh, okay. This actually is resolved in this episode. Oh, okay, great. So meanwhile, me. back at the temple, <laughs> Craftstar and his little people are going to do a ceremony to like refresh the temple and, and make it theirs again. And another practitioner, as I said, they all appear out of nowhere wearing like druid robes, tells Craftstar that some stuff has changed since he's been out, you know, recruiting people against Caesar. And so Uh-oh. she wants to do the service. And he's game. He's like, yeah, go for it. You know, make sure we do it right and how we're supposed to be doing it. And so she starts talking and she's doing the normal kind of uh, religious speech about the renewal, cleansing, re- renewal from the old. And then she's like, and we will tremble at his arrival. And Craftstar's like, huh, this has changed a lot. And she continues. She goes, the door must be opened. The path of his arrival must be sacrificed in blood, pure blood, innocent blood. And he, and he's like, huh? huh? And suddenly rogue people grab Craftstar, who's yelling, and drag him to an altar that they're all standing around. Oh, bye-bye, Craftstar. <laughs> and she's like, the hand of Dayhawk will sweep the earth and bring with it a winter of a thousand years. And this is where I ask myself, Sam, why? Who is Dayhawk? Well, that. We'll find out. <laughs> But mostly, why do so many people bring forth an eternal, like, winter or darkness, darkness or destruction of the human race? How does that benefit them as the human race? I'm guessing they just never outgrow their teenage emo phase. <laughs> I'm assuming they're thinking, well, I'm on the side of right. Like, I'm going to be one of his minions, so he's not going to hurt me. Why would you want to Maybe they just like scape? darkness, Danielle. <laughs> Maybe they like winter. Some people like winter. <laughs> well, she is on board. Don't understand why this sounds appealing, but she's there for it. And Craftstars yells, like, this isn't our god! And he yells for Gabrielle. And the rogue people, the druidy rogue people, start, like, singing. Like, da, 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 da. Like, really dramatic music. <laughs> sure. Got it. <laughs> and the woman ri- raises a knife to stab him, and Gabrielle breaks free. She's being held by rogue people, and she wrestles the dagger from her while they continue to sing. They don't even stop singing. <laughs> well, the singing's the important part, Danielle. <laughs> it is, apparently, it's part of the ceremony. And she cuts him free, and then the woman grabs her and, like, tries to pull the dagger away from her, and Gabrielle ends up stabbing her in the stomach. <gasps> Innocent and blood spilled, oh no! I know. She looks super shocked. She's just kind of staring at her hands and staring at the blood, and you can tell she's probably, assumedly, never killed anybody before, because she's just like, oh my god, what did I just do? Oh my one god, what did I just do? <laughs> Thank you, Danielle, for clarifying. <laughs> And Craftstar rises from the slab and slowly takes the dagger from her hands and he he thanks her. He's like, thank you. You're bringing Dayhawk into this world. He needed a sacrifice of an innocent. And that's you. 
<laughs> so the guy who is going to be sacrificed is like, help, save me. And then he gets faked out. Yeah, plot twist. He was in on it the whole time. This makes no sense. Why are they not yeah. just take Gabrielle when she had the chance? Well, apparently she has to sacrifice her innocence of whatever. Like she had to give up her innocence. She had to kill in somebody. Case, like, like she had to kill somebody or something, okay. do something This is the most convoluted nonsense. What's worse, Sam, if you really think about this, what was the plan prior to meeting Gabrielle? I don't know, just get an orphan? Pure luck. It's pure luck that he met Gabrielle. She happens to be this like kind lovely human being sure <laughs> and then she does one of the most dramatic like the thing that all tv she's do she goes no <laughs> love it <laughs> and it cuts it cuts to bodicea and zeta who are having this moment where they're kind of like they're having a heart to heart and caesar's army is quite large and they kind of clear things up on their end and she's like okay well you go this way this way we're gonna figure it out we're gonna fight it we're gonna win and then they they look off into the distance and above the temple is this huge storm cloud that's brewing and zeta's <gasps> like uh that's not good that's above the temple that's where gabrielle is uh peace out and she just leaves the battle <laughs> I mean, yeah, storms are scary. <laughs> she runs to Gabrielle. She runs to the storm, Sam. She's Zena. She's not afraid of a storm. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> so she gets there. Gabrielle's sobbing. Zena's trying to, like, comfort her. She's like, what did you do? And she's like, I killed her. You wouldn't kill anybody. She's like, no, I really killed her. <laughs> I definitely murdered this woman, and I'm bringing about the destruction of the earth or something. And Craftstar appears, and he... Is like, well, thank you for giving me Gabrielle so that we could complete our task of bringing back Dayhawk or whatever his name is, this evil yeah. god, evil wood god. And then somehow Craftstar has magic powers. He has like super strength. He brings about fire. He didn't I mean, seem to have these before. <laughs> we call, I mean, this makes sense. He's working for Dayhawk. Dayhawk's a, a guy who gives powers. We knew this. Yeah, apparently just calling him forth. Now he has these magic powers. Then Gabrielle, they get into like these huge fights, Zena and Craftstar. These fire tendrils sweep out and try to get. Pull Gabrielle and they like pull her leg towards the the slab and then raise her into the air and she's like being consumed by fire that's not burning her she's just consumed by fire she's floating in the air it's very dramatic pretty solid CG actually sure and there's this huge fight scene between Craftstar and Zeta and and Craftstar's yeah you know, actually holding his own because he apparently has the magic powers of Dayhawk now and she says this great line about like what's so good about this guy anyway all I've seen is a lame attempt at religion and some fancy fireworks and uh this demon appears out of like the the giant fiery pits apparently they've been able to call him yeah sure and she he's like you can't talk about dayhawk like that (laughs) i appreciate having something there to defend my honor Yes, and apparently this is the Deliverer. This is the title of the episode. He is supposed to bring forth Dayhawk into the world by killing Zena, I guess, using her blood. But he and Zena get into this huge fight, and he ends, she ends up pushing him into the, the fiery pit. Perhaps his body is used for sacrifice. I don't know, but theoretically, Dayhawk is called. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know a lot, Danielle. Well, this episode is, is open-ended. The temple collapsed. It just, like, starts to break apart, falls apart, they escape, and Gabrielle's like, everything's changed, everything's changed. And that's the end of the Caesar line. Then nothing happens with Caesar, you find out nothing more about him. Well, you don't know that. You know what happens in the other episodes. Uh, actually, Sam, I looked up the next episode because I was curious. Do they fight Caesar? <laughs> what happens? Do you want to know what happens? Very briefly, one line. Uh, one line, yes. Yeah, the next episode, Gabrielle is pregnant with Dayhawk's child. What? And they get into a fight with some banshees. No How'd Caesar. How did she get pregnant? <laughs> I don't know. Fire? 
Uh, my my health classes were a while ago, but I don't think that tracks. <laughs> I was like, huh. And so it's assumed. It's assumed Aox. I, I don't know how all that turns out, but she has like a one-day pregnancy or something, pops out a baby, and there's a whole shenanigans with that. Wild, man. Wild. So a wild episode. I had to tell you the ending of that, though, because it gets weirder if you know the next episode. Apparently so. <laughs> well... That's Xena, I guess. 50th episode of Xena. It's a good one, you guys. It's very it good. Is. <laughs> so what did you think, Sam? Was that a fitting addition to our 50th episode? I mean, it certainly made me more interested in what the heck's going on in Xena, so yeah. <laughs> I know, it made me want to watch all the rest of the episodes. I was like, oh yeah, I love this show. It's crazy. <laughs> and Lucy Lawless's uh, acting is just like... Just, just the right amazing. amount. Just yeah. the way Xena should be. <laughs> yeah, no. That was great. Well done, Danielle. Well she, done. Thank you. She does a lot of like long eye stares and eyebrow acting, and I'm just so here for it. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound amazing. So, Sam, what are you going to share? This is the first time we've got to do back-to-back sharing. I know. It's weird. I know. I'm pretty excited about this. What did you bring to the table for your 50th episode on our 50th episode? This was tough for me, Danielle, because mm-hmm. a lot of the things I think are very weird don't have 50 episodes, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I have watched that has 50 episodes, you've seen a fair amount of it. Like, I couldn't do Star Trek, unfortunately. (laughs) So I went down to the the safe zone where I know you haven't gone, which is modern animation. Okay. So I've chosen to share with you one, maybe two episodes of the TV series Regular Show. All right. I've heard of it. I don't know much or I think you've heard of it probably from me. Probably from you. It's it's true. (laughs) So, just to give you a little background on it, here's just a a brief description of the series. All right. It says, The series revolves around the lives of two working-class friends, a blue jay named Mordecai and a raccoon named Rigby, both employed as groundskeepers at a local park, as one is. Yeah. They usually try to solve a simple problem that leads to a surreal, extreme, and often supernatural misadventure. (laughs) Yes. So, (laughs) this is a very bizarre and abstract show, which is... Why I have decided to bring to our 50th episode, because I figured, if not now, when? When, Sam? When? (laughs) So I'm going to start with episode 50, and depending on how that goes, maybe you have time to do episode 51 as well, because they are only 11 minutes, generally. So I figure we can make these in two little bite-sized chunks. Sure, because Xena is not 11 minutes. (laughs) No, it's a a full 44, I believe, yeah. (laughs) All right, continue on, regular right. show. So episode 50, entitled Wrap It Up. Mm-hmm. Is that W-R-A-P? Nope. R-A-P? <laughs> yep. Yeah, let's do it. So we open at the park snack bar, where a rap group named Crew Crew is issuing an open <laughs> rap battle challenge. The leader is guest voiced by Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, nice. and the other members are voiced by Tyler, the creator, and MC Light. So, you know, they like to get their celebrities in when they can apparently good job yeah so they proceed to trounce a dude who comes up in the rap battle with some very mean lyrics and mordecai and rigby who are watching from the snack bar which they are manning all like cheer appreciatively along with everyone else in the park who's watching Uh, that's when pops walks up now who's pops you might ask I am. Who is Pops? He is the adult son of the park owner. He is a very sweet and somewhat naive man, and he looks kind of like a lollipop. He is a rail thin with a giant head, like (laughs) almost as round in diameter as his body is long. Is that why they call him Pops? Maybe. I have never thought about it. (laughs) Because he looks like a lollipop. He also wears a very tiny, or I guess 
proportionally tiny top hat, which is very cute. <laughs> well, yes. If one has a large head, one should wear a proportionally tiny bop top hat. <laughs> yes. So he walks up and sort of accepts the challenge and opens with a poem saying, A hug can be the most wonderful thing. Two arms wrapped around you like a mother's wing. But we're so selfish when we are blue. Doesn't a hug deserve a hug too? So you want a hug on top of a hug? <laughs> Double <laughs> hug? <laughs> I don't understand, Danielle. I mean, I'm not a poet. I don't, I don't. Maybe there's something above my head here. Like a hug needs a hug. You yeah, like a hug is sad. It needs a hug too. Like who hugs hugs when they're sad? Aw, poor hugs. Yeah, so this gives you a sense of Pops as a very sweet man. The crew crew is unimpressed by his display of vulnerability. Oh, come on. Boo. They're all like, what, are you stepping up to us? And Pops is like, I'm just excited for other poets who love rhyming. It's so nice to see more poets. And they basically go into their own, you know, response rap, calling him a loser and then you should go home. You're not cut out for this. You suck. And so then Pops starts to cry. Poor Pops in his pop hat. I know. That's when Mordecai and Rigby rush out and are like, come on, Pops, let's get you out of here. But Pops turns around defiant and insists he's not a loser. And he challenges them to a poetry battle, which they interpret as a rap battle. And they agree to battle him that night. Dun, dun, dun. Mordecai and Rigby agree to help Pops by being part of his crew and training him. Now, again, I, I believe the description of this, but just to reiterate, Mordecai is a very tall humanoid blue jay and rigby is a somewhat humanoid raccoon to his short about the size of a regular raccoon is this relevant to the rap battle no but i just want to get you is the characters <laughs> the in this show are all very weird in terms of like there's one who's a sentient gumball machine yeah why not yeah i know so this should give you a sense of how this show likes to be a little weird does the gumball does the gumball machine have a name his name is benson and he is the uh, manager of the park the boss perfect <laughs> yes Anyway, so Mordecai, Rigby, and Pops, they go back to the house, and Mordecai and Rigby demonstrate how rap battles work by insulting each other in, you know, in, a, in a fun kind of way. But Pops is not into that whole thing. He's like, I don't like making fun of people with rhymes. Poetry is about expressing beauty, not negativity. <laughs> and so he takes them outside to the park and starts reciting poems about how beautiful the park is. And Mordecai and Rigby start getting really into it. And that's when Crew Crew walk by and start laughing at them. And Pops is like, doesn't matter. We're still going to win because you don't rhyme from your heart. So I have a question. Yes. About rap battles. Okay. I'm the wrong person to ask. No, but in this context is the, this, you are the person to ask, is the, are the rap battles decided by the audience in terms of like who is appreciated the most? Not not really. I mean, it, ostensibly, yes. That's what was demonstrated earlier. But we'll get to the rap battle happens in this okay. episode towards the end. <laughs> Despite Pops' confidence, Mordecai and Rigby are pessimistic. So they head back to the house where they find Skips, who is the Yeti handyman of the park and is voiced by Mark Hamill. Nice. <laughs> and what he's a good eating, cast. It's a great cast. This show is an amazing cast. <laughs> And he's eating a bowl of alphabet soup. Of course. And, I yeah. mean, why would you not be, especially as a Yeti? <laughs> of course. And Mordecai and Rigby lament about how they can't win. What are we going to do? And then Pops comes in and he is carrying these matching uniforms. Like, I got matching uniforms for us. And they look like the <laughs> leotards from like an old Shakespeare play where they have like yes. the frilly collars. Like a comedy <laughs> interpretation of a Shakespeare play, not real Shakespeare. I'm here for Pops. You go, Pops. Pops is the best. Mordecai and Rigby are not into it. They tell Pops, look... We're going to lose. We should just drop out. Pop says he can't do that since they called him a loser. Mordecai says, what if they're right before instantly regretting it? <laughs> 
But too late, Pops runs out crying, saying, fine, I'll do it your way. If they lose, all they do is lose their, like, street cred, right, in this rap battle. It's not like they they made a bet against anything specific. As far as we know, that is the case at this point. Okay. Is that going to change? <laughs> we'll find out, Danielle. Uh-oh. <laughs> Up the stakes. Oh, so there are stakes aplenty. So Mordecai and Rigby feel bad, and they ask Skips, like, what should we do? Are we losers? We can't do this. We'll just look like losers. Skip says, I lost my appetite, and he slides the bowl of soup over to them and leaves. And Mordecai and Rigby look into the bowl, and they see a sentence spelled out in the <laughs> alphabet soup, and it says, Mordecai and Rigby, friends don't let down other friends. You guys are losers. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> also, how hard would it be to, one, spell that with alphabet soup, Absolutely. and two, keep it in like perfect formation a line. <laughs> yeah while you slide it across the table skips is kind of amazing he's uh, impossibly old i think he has he's like oh, he's functionally immortal nice yeah as all yetis are as far as i can tell i'm just saying he probably had time to learn how to craft alphabet soup in his infinite years it was like one year of his life he's just sitting there he's like all right, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> Look, if you had infinite time, I think you'd devote some of that time to doing weird crafts. <laughs> With your alphabet soup. <laughs> oh, of course. Why else? I'm like, oh, look at this newfangled alphabet soup. I'm not sure what I can do with this. <laughs> so Mordecai and Rigby, they take that soup message to heart and are like, oh, man. So we cut to that night where Pops is in the battle and trying to throw insults, but not doing very well. He ends up saying like, oh, your shoes are a nice color as one of his like rap burn. He's like, oh. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> so he's by himself? Yeah, he went by himself because Mordecai and Rigby were like, Tim, we shouldn't go. We can't do this. Little punk faces. Yeah. But as he's sort of suffering, Mordecai and Rigby show up. They're wearing the Ulitard outfit and they're quoting the poetry and they're like, Pops, what you do is art. So we're here to help. We're going to do this. Is Pops in his leotard as well? No, he is wearing like street clothes. Like they dressed him up in like a hoodie and a backwards cap to try to, you know, get him to fit their idea of what a rap battle should be. So he's not wearing his top hat, pop hat? No, unfortunately not. Sad. <laughs> so this is when the battle begins in earnest and they start reciting poetry. And as they recite the poetry slash rap, the things they say start to manifest in reality. Why? <laughs> because. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, supernatural shenanigans as explained in the uh, summary. Uh, but yes, yes, exactly right, Danielle. Supernatural shenanigans. It just happens. Just go with it. I can't explain it. Okay, sure. So, for instance, Pops will say to the crew, crew, like, you're some of the best rhymers I've met. And the words, like, best will appear and, like, fall down and crush one of them or something. Okay. <laughs> and so then, then the crew crew comes back. One of them calls them, like, sardines and ham. And a, a giant can of sardines manifests with Rigby inside until the Pops and Mordecai <laughs> open the can and pull Rigby out. <laughs> Or Cute. one of them says, like, Mordecai, you're all turned around. So his head literally turns around on his head and he's facing backwards. Like, oh, thank ah, you for this creepy. new perspective. <laughs> and so they keep going back and forth. One of the crew crew is made to sprout wings and he flies off uncontrollably. And so they trade these weird barbs. And finally, Pops And nobody, walks- just, just to yeah. clarify, I'm sure. sorry. Nobody seems to think this is weird just because weird stuff probably happens all the time. Yeah, they're going with it. None of the people okay. watching, none of the people involved, they're all just totally here for it. <laughs> they're like, huh, that's odd. Continue on. I'm sure this will not be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
Finally, Alpha, that's the name of the leader of the crew crew, steps up to Pops and Pops lays into him with his last thing where he's like, hey, this has been really great for me. I really enjoyed the competition. You're really good rhymers, but there's something you're missing. And it's because you don't rhyme from the heart. And because of that, I know that I believe in myself and therefore nothing you say will ever bring me down. So I've already won. And as Pops is saying, this, like this ball of light manifests from his heart and like forms between them, starts growing in intensity as he's saying this. And once he drops the final word, it just explodes uh-huh. and presumably just kills the crew crew because they just vanish <laughs> from this point. They're no longer seen. They're just oh, gone. No. <laughs> yeah, I told you. The stakes for this rap battle were apparently oh, very high. <laughs> we're death by giant glowing ball of light. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are cheers all around as the audience cheers and then wander off and Mordecai and Rigby congratulate Pops and say, hey, good job, you did it. And they all congratulate each other. <laughs> You killed the crew crew. The crew crew is <laughs> dead. Won. They were crushed by our words or made to fly away with weird wings or just exploded, apparently. <laughs> and then one of their other friends, who is named Mitch Sorenstein, but everyone calls him Muscle Man because he's a small green man with pink eyes. And he just says, hey, nice outfits, losers. And like, all right, we should go home and change. The end. <laughs> This brings into so many questions yeah. about, like, mortality and yeah. if death has any, like, if they have any issues with the idea of what's beyond death. <laughs> I gotta say, Danielle, this, sh- I can only speculate from, I mean, I've seen the, I've seen the series, it's fun, but from this point here, I say that they've seen so much weird stuff, they're just numb to it. They're, like, at this point, so inundated with weird stuff and explosions and death that they just it just doesn't phase them anymore. They're, like, inoculated against the shock of death. Wow. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) I bet you didn't. (laughs) Rap battle turns deadly because of awesome words. (laughs) There's a headline. (laughs) (laughs) So that is one episode of Regular Show. That's uh, quite the fiftieth episode. You go, yeah. regular show. <laughs> there, I mean, bring it I home say, big. I was I was a little disappointed because these episodes are not the weirdest episodes of regular show. They're not the ones I might choose to highlight <laughs> the insanity of regular show. So just imagine how weird they get in other episodes. Yeah, if weird is not being consumed by a giant ball of light at the end of a rap battle and nobody caring, then I don't know what weird is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to episode 51 then, which is called Cruisin'. Okay, let's do it. We open on a coffee shop that is like the regular coffee shop that Mordecai and Repeat go to. And there's a cheesy cop movie on the TV. Think like Starsky and Hutch, where two guys, they cruise up to a pair of girls and they like say, hey, let me get your phone number. It's the only thing I'm missing. They score some phone numbers and- Is that really their line? Uh, No, it's it's something cheesy. It's a cheesy pickup line like that. (laughs) Because that's a really bad line. It's something- I don't remember exactly the line, but something along the lines of the only thing we're missing are your girl's phone numbers or something like that. That should not work on you, anybody out there in the world. Don't (laughs) give a number out for that line. (laughs) Well, again, we see the people watching it. And of course, there's Mordecai and Rigby who are very into it. Like, oh, that's so cool. Those guys are awesome. (laughs) That's so lame. Don't do it, Mordecai and Rigby. (laughs) Well, there are two girls watching. There's Margaret, who is a cardinal. So Mm -hmm. she is the counterpart to Mordecai's Blue Jay. And Mordecai, throughout the series, has a massive crush on her that is largely unrequited. And does Rigby get somebody? Well, she's also working with her friend slash work partner, Eileen, who is a beaver. Beaver and a raccoon. Yes. Beef-coon? Beef-coon? Rack-fear? Reaver? I don't know. (laughs) 
And in this instance, Eileen has the hots for Rigby, which also largely goes unrequited. It's a very complicated show, Danielle. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> anyway, they are very unimpressed by it. They're like, this is so unrealistic and misogynistic. You guys don't think that's really what would happen. Yeah, see? See? But Mordecai and Rigby insist that all they need to get a girl's number is a cool car. That's the only thing you need. You need a cool car. That's how you score numbers. If we were cruising in a cool car, we could totally score numbers. I'm sure it would have some success rate, but I wouldn't say it's the only thing one needs. <laughs> Mark and Eileen do not buy this. They're like, <laughs> BS. And they're like, okay, do you want to bet? So the girls suggest that if they can get a number by the end of the day by cruising, they will buy them dinner. Just one number? Just one. That's impressive. I would have gone with like three. <laughs> well, and if they don't get a number, then they have to buy Margaret and Eileen dinner. And so the boys are like, okay, sure. And the girls walk away laughing because they think there's no way in heck they're going to get any numbers. Mm-hmm. And then Mordecai says, Ruby, they're clearly flirting with us, obviously. <laughs> Rigby uh, was confused because he's like, wait, aren't we trying to get other girls' numbers? <laughs> and Mark is like, no, it's fine. It's just all some game. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out when you're older or something or when you have more experience. But I'm like with Rigby on that one. That doesn't make any sense. No, it does not. So anyway, the boys pull up to the mall in their golf cart because that is what they drive. <laughs> is that their car that they're going to try and get the numbers from? It is. Oh, I think they missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> so they are ready to cruise for girls. And they run to Eileen and Margaret, who tell them if they win, they're going to make them take them to a super fancy, expensive restaurant, which they cannot afford working at a park and they're kind of lazy. Mm-hmm. So not going to happen. And they mention, hey, can you buy dinner for our dates as well? Uh-oh. Oh. Mordecai and Rigby are like, wait, you're bringing your dates too? Which really, you know, is a real slap in the face. And now they have to panic because they can't afford to buy six dinners. So they really need to win. Mm-hmm. So now begins the montage of them failing to get numbers. They drive up to girls. They say, hey, give me a number. Nope. Hey, give me a number. Nope. And doesn't work out. And then they, as they stop dejected, they realize that, hey, wait a minute. We need a better ride than a golf cart. That's what the problem is. <laughs> that was not their original solution when they, they had had that conversation earlier about needing a better car. Uh, I guess they thought their natural charm and the golf cart would be enough, but Did clearly, they even have a cute line that they were using to try and pick up these numbers? Uh, no, they did not. They have really <laughs> bad lines they use later. This is why they're single. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to the park and they find Pops. He's back! Yay! And in his Yay. top hat. In his pop hat, Sam. Yep. His pop hat. And he's washing his car and they ask him if they can <laughs> borrow his every car. every time. Because, <laughs> Danielle, I just know it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> Because you're ignoring it. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, ignoring your pop hat. That's going to make it something. You know what? It's adorable. <laughs> Stop trying to make pop hat a thing, Danielle. It's not going to be a thing. It's already a thing. It's there. It's there. It's a thing. <laughs> I guess it <laughs> I is. Made, I just made it a thing. I win. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Sure. You get You have the pop hat. I'm just going to keep ignoring it then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they ask Pops if they can borrow his car to win a bet. He's like, oh, a wager. I love wagers. And so he agrees to let them borrow the car. Caramanita is the name of the car. <laughs> Carbonita. Yeah, great. But he explains that the car has special gears, and not to touch those special gears, says Carmenita's special parts should only be manipulated by a professional. No. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> but it's said by Pop, so it comes out very cute and innocent, and not at all a double entendre. <laughs> So they assure him, yeah, we won't touch the special gears, and then they speed off back to the mall. They would touch the special gears. Where they run back into the girls who introduce their dates, Chad Ironchest and Tuck Packard. 
<laughs> of course they are. And the dates are like, oh, you're Mordecai and Rigby. Thanks so much for paying for dinner. That's really cool of you guys. And then Mordecai and Rigby sort of panic and they speed off. So they start asking a bunch of girls, again, for their numbers in quick succession. like, hey, we lost our phone numbers. Can we have yours? Doesn't work. <laughs> hey, are you angels? Because you fell from heaven. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> then my favorite one, they hey, they go up to a girl and say, Hey, we need to win a bet and she just walks off. <laughs> that could almost work. Like I really have to get a girl's phone number after win this bet. <laughs> Isn't that what Google phone numbers are for or something? So you can give them out at random. <laughs> yeah. So Towards sundown, Mordecai and Rigby are parked dejected in the parking lot again, and they're thinking, what do those guys have besides a cool car? And Mordecai concludes, they had self-confidence. So we just need to act confident, and then we'll get the girls' numbers. So they put on some big, cheesy smiles, like they're all confident, and then immediately, two ladies just get into their car. (laughs) And they ask for a ride. These ladies are very punk. They're, like, wearing punk outfits, and they introduce themselves as Trash and Scabatha. (laughs) So as they're driving away, Mordecai's like, Rigby, just get their numbers, close the deal. But before they can do anything, the two girls like look behind them and say, oh, oh good, they're following us. And there's another car following them. And they seem very interested in that because in the car following them are two punk guys. And Trash and Scabatha taunt them saying, get lost, dweebs. We're with our new boyfriends now. So they're totally just using them. Yes, obviously. They should definitely give them their numbers because that's now the (laughs) trade-off. So Mordecai and Rigby insist to the other guys, we don't want your girlfriends. We just want their numbers. And this enrages the other guys who are named Bloodshed and Manslaughter to to start ramming them with their car. So Mordecai and Rigby panic because obviously... It's not even their car. Not even their car. And so Rigby pulls on the special gear and the car just flies up into the sky. I told you. I told you. Well, we knew it was going to happen. You just check off special gears. (laughs) So the car flies up to the sky, and the two punk guys are like, oh, two can play at that game. And one of them turns the dial on the radio, and jets start shooting out of their tailpipes, and they start flying. Why do they all have magic cars? Apparently, magic flying cars are just a thing here, Danielle. (laughs) Sure, why not? In the last one, a rap group got exploded to a ball of light, so why not? by rap word, by poetry. (laughs) Death by poetry. Why not have magic cars? Why not? Indeed. So up in the sky, the girls taunt the exes like, are you jealous? But while they're doing that, none of them see the jumbo jet that they just barely avoid. They're like 30,000 feet altitude in these cars. It's not very unclear, Daniel. They're hiding from me near a jumbo jet. Let's just leave it at that. How are they not dead from, like, oxygen deprivation? <laughs> Maybe the cars are pressurized for their convenience. <laughs> is it? Although, although Pop's car is a... Uh, does have the top down, so yeah. that doesn't really hold water. <laughs> It is a convertible with the top down. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they don't even... They're a raccoon and a bird. Maybe they can just breathe up there. I don't okay. know how raccoons and birds work. <laughs> Maybe the bird. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> raccoons are not generally airborne. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, flying squirrels. Why not flying raccoons? <laughs> I am calling shenanigans on this all day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't really argue against that, Daniel. It's fair. So the girls freak out after missing the jumble jet and are like, hey, set us down. We don't even want this anymore. We we just wanted to make bloodshed and manslaughter jealous. And bloodshed and manslaughter are like, really? That's so sweet of you. So their names are bloodshed, manslaughter. Trash. Trash and... My favorite, Scabatha. Yeah, I was going to say the good one, Scabatha. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some names. 
And so after manslaughter and bloodshed express their appreciation for Trash and Scabatha, they're like, aw, can you just kill these guys so we can go home? Kill them? Kill Mordecai and Rigby so they can go home. Yeah. Why do they have to kill them? How come they can't just say, okay, cool, peace out? Uh, honor? I don't know. <laughs> they're going to rap battle and explode a ball of light on them? <laughs> uh, not quite. So they start ramming Mordecai and Rigby again, and they knock the engine out of the car. And so the car starts to plummet, and the girls sort of flood out of the car and are swept up by bloodshed and manslaughter. And they're recovered, and they fly off. How did they sweep them up? They're not in a convertible, correct? Uh, they open the door, and I pull them in. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they have a flying car, Danielle. They can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay, continue on. <laughs> <laughs> but Mordecai and Rigby panic, and start pulling random levers. Like, the trunk opens, and all the stuff falls out of the trunk. And one of the levers makes bat wings come out of the side of the car. Nice. And so they level off, and they're like, okay, and then they hit a tree. They just crash oh, into a tree that's in the no. parking lot of the mall. Poor Pop's car. I know, it's real ruined. So Margaret and Eileen run over to them to see how they're doing after the crash. Like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And Mordecai and Rigby crawl out of the car. They're like, okay, we admit it. We'll buy you dinner. But can we just have your number so we can reschedule? Because uh, I think we have to go to the hospital right now. And they're like, okay, yeah, of course. Here you go. You can call us later. And they got their numbers. Yes. Yay! So then Mark is like, wait a minute. We got a girl's numbers. No one said it couldn't be your numbers. Ha ha, they lose. So the girls are like, fine, but we get to pick where we go then. And so it cuts to them the next day at the coffee shop where the girls are working. They give them some free sandwiches and like, all right, here you go. And Mark would be like, okay, cruising is dumb. And we're glad we got the free meal. So we have to save up to pay for Pop's car. And then on the TV, we hear about a new movie. It's about fighter pilots scoring girls. <laughs> Well, they've already done that, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and Eileen and Margaret just go, don't even think about it. The end. <laughs> but they were so good in their flying cars, Sam. <laughs> yeah. They, they only crashed it and nearly died. <laughs> what well, was good? A double feature. Yeah, a double, double feature. feature in a double feature. <laughs> just a little taste of regular show. It's like Inception double feature. 50th <laughs> episodes. <laughs> well, I hope that was uh, a good contribution to our oeuvre of 50th episodes? Uh, I think it is. And 51 brings us forward. It's like looking forward to our 51st episode. I thought that too. <laughs> I like to do 49 and 50 or 15 and 50. I think we should, you know, be optimistic about us. If this doesn't end our series run, then nothing will. <laughs> the 50th isn't the end. 51 will <laughs> we bring promise. us forward into the new light. Hopefully not a light that explodes us into oblivion during a rap battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like your favorite part, wasn't it? <laughs> Just funny. <laughs> it's it's really unexpected. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the show does. It has like a mundane situation that usually turns into something really weird in, in unexpected ways. Well, Sam. That's, that's like us. Our, that's, yeah, we're unexpected and twisty. <laughs> well, Danielle, congratulations on 50 episodes. Congratulations to you too, Sam. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We'd like to thank our listeners for sticking around if for our 50 episodes. Yes. And if you're somehow still sticking around after this one, we promise we'll back to our normal shenanigans in episode 51. We will. And we love you guys. We appreciate you all. Thank you. I know there's some that have listened from episode one to now, and uh, we're not saying you're our favorites, but <laughs> maybe you are. <laughs> also, uh, why? Why did you not the, give up? <laughs> because, Sam, it's great. We're great. <laughs> you have to have self-confidence in this in this industry, and we like to have it in spades. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, and we really do appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. And if you have any of your favorite 50th episode of any show or media piece, please let us know what your favorite 50th episode of something is. You can find us at bookretorts.com. Or you can tweet us, Facebook, or Instagram us at bookretorts. 
And it is pretty fun to look up episodes and see what the 50th episode is. It's really weird. Some of them are just smack dab in the middle of nonsense. Yeah. So kind of worth doing, I would say. (laughs) I certainly had fun with it. I I did. I can't speak for you. (laughs) I said I did. So there. But anyway, here's to 50 more. And until next time, bye. Take care, everybody. Everybody and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this that is our 50th weird. episode. <laughs> I want to try that again. Okay. I sounded really weird. All right. <laughs> All right, do over. Your enthusiasm threw me off. I was panicked. <laughs> our 50th episode. I was trying to be excited. I know. And I'm like, what's going on? Do I have to match that energy? <laughs> Ghost enthusiasm if you want. I'm just, I'm prepared for it now. I just, I just okay. need some, some forewarning. Wait. Not supposed to be enthusiastic in our fiftieth episode. I got that. But I didn't realize you're going to go hard right out of the gate. <laughs> well, that's the time to catch people, Sam. All right. <laughs> <laughs>